places like this all around the world today, uh, people will gather. There's probably about 2 billion of us in total that would somehow identify ourselves with the event that uh, we're going to look at today and the person of the event. We're looking at one solitary life that has changed the planet, changed the world forever, and one singular event uh, particularly we're going to look at today. About 2 billion of us strong, like I say, will gather and worship. Some will risk their lives in this process. Uh, just a couple weeks ago over in Egypt, followers of Christ meeting in a church service just like this were killed, uh, numbers of them, bombs, suicide bomber, that sort of thing. But nevertheless, people will gather because they really believe, and I really believe, and have for 43 years, that there was this one solitary life that showed up on the planet. There's never been anybody like him before or anybody like him since. And he did something that no one of the 105 billion people that have ever lived and been upon this planet, he did something that no one has ever done. He died. Let me go further. He predicted his own death some four times. He told specifically the way that it was going to happen and who would do it. And then he predicted also that after being killed, really dead, he would rise back from the grave. And he ultimately said that every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever lived on the planet would stand before him someday to be judged. And he said that all those that align with him, all those that put their trust in him, all those that become his followers... That they would receive as a free gift forgiveness of sins and everlasting life in his kingdom. And so all through the ages, based on not just whimsical hopes, but compelling evidence that we'll look at in a bit. This event has forever changed the lives of multitudes of people. And I know that a lot of us in here, we would say that this solitary life and this singular event have forever and are continuing to change us. Now, you might say, well, how, how does this event of one person rising from the dead, how, how does that change us? Um, there's a movie that's coming out on Netflix soon, and it's called The Discovery. Uh, Robert Redford plays a scientist in the movie, and um, he is a scientist that supposedly has absolute scientific evidence that there is life after death. That's the premise of the movie. And so... When the world in the first year gets this information that there is now scientific proof for life after death, people start to react to this new reality. That's a, that's a new set of facts, a new, a new truth about life. And in the movie, what they do, unfortunately, in droves, in fact, a million the first year of realizing this supposed new truth is they commit suicide because those that hit that hard spot in life where sometimes it feels harder to live than to die. Once they knew that there was another existence after this life, they were cashing out a million strong. And that's the kind of gen premise of the movie. But the, the reason we're here today is because the individual that rose from the grave, he said at one point in his life, he says, nobody can take my life from me in John 10. 10. He, he said, I came that the people could live life to the fullest and nobody can take my life from me, but I'd lay it down and I can take it back up again. And he did it. This 
sacrifice. And this individual that rose from the grave to show that there is life after death, he gives people and has continued all through the centuries, nearly 2,000 years now, to give people courage to face every conceivable season in life, every good season, every bad season, everything in between. He gives people the courage to become, regardless of the circumstances, who they were always meant to become and do what they were always meant to do, to live with meaning and to live with purpose and to live gentle, kind, sacrificial, loving lives, the most beautiful lives that have ever been presented on this planet are those that sincerely actually, actually follow this one called Jesus of Nazareth. This one that, that lived a perfect life the planet has never seen before, taught things that no one has ever taught, did miracles that could not be confounded even by his enemies, and ultimately sacrificed his life on the cross to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves us. That even in our brokenness, in our backwardness, in our rebellion, let's be honest, he he loves us and he seeks us and he cherishes us. And, and there are his arms stretched out wide with spikes in his hands saying, this is how much you matter to me. And all that have trusted in him have found that he is really, he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And continue to live in the light of his life, his miracles, his sacrificial death, and mostly, mostly more important today, his his resurrection. So let's go back now and just visit the facts. Let's, let's familiar, re-familiarize ourselves a bit with the facts of the event. And if you don't mind turning in those Bibles that are near you to page 1129, it will be uh, Matthew chapter 28. That's uh, page 1128, Matthew 28. We're just going to read a few verses to familiarize ourselves once again with the actual event. So go ahead and turn there in those Bibles if you would, because I'm going to Read through the first few verses. 11.29. Now, after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week. Now, mind you, uh, the Sabbath was Saturday. The first day of the week to a Jew is Sunday. So, after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, that is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Suddenly, there was a severe earthquake. Mark that. This was a serious physical phenomenon. For an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were shaken. These were Roman guards and became like dead men because they were so afraid of him. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised just as he said. Four times he predicted this before it happened. Come and see the place where he was laying. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee, and you will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Jesus met them saying, greetings. They came to him, held onto his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. So here, here is this event that introduces a new reality, a new truth about God, a new truth about life, a new reality that is meant to bring light to us that we live in that light, and it starts to guide us and govern our behavior. 
It's meant to free us. It's meant to, to take invisible chains that actually exist upon our souls, chains that we're often not aware of at all, and, and it's meant to, to break us free from those chains. There was a movie back in 1999, uh, one of the best science fiction movies of all time, and it was called The Matrix. Just curious how many saw the movie, The Matrix. If not, you might want to you know, pick it out and look at it sometime. Don't look at the next two after it. They were awful. Um, <laughs> But the first one was tremendous, um, full of all, all sorts of philosophical and spiritual symbolism and things like that. But, but the gist of the movie is this. People are living their lives just like you and I live our life every day. You know, getting up, going to work, going to school, you know, doing our routines, marrying, having children. Everything in life seems just as normal as it is today, but that wasn't the truth. The truth was every single human being had been taken over by artificial intelligence and humans were now living in these little pods and they were hooked up to wires and these artificial intelligences were projecting a false reality into the minds of billions of human beings and they were deriving energy from our physiology. And so everybody thought that they were living normal lives but in fact they were slaves. They were, as it were, in chains. Nothing was really real. Now, we, including myself, all of us at times live with various invisible chains on our souls. And we're, we're likely to be carrying some of those chains right in here this morning. And, and Jesus, his life, his sacrificial death, and most importantly, his resurrection, it was meant to free us from these chains. But it only does so if we live in light of the new reality that he introduced. So let's start this message by trying to discern what life-sabotaging chains might be clinging to our souls. We might feel free, we might feel normal, we might feel okay, but that doesn't mean that we are. Remember the matrix. So let's look at what Jesus encountered first of all. Jesus came into a confrontation with corrupt human religion and corrupt political power, two nemesis that the human race has had to live with that have frustrated us and terrified us and, and kind of manipulated us all through human history. And by the way, let me differentiate something for you. The difference between religion and a real relationship with God. You see, some of you, I've got to be honest with you, some of you this morning, you might be here because you're, you're very religious people. You're probably good neighbors, nice people, good citizens, um, and all that kind of thing. But you're, you're religious, frankly. And here's what religion means. Religion means you're here to pay your respects to God. You're, you're here perhaps for this only time of year, but you didn't say, God, you see me, I'm here paying my respects to you. Not knocking that. I'm glad you're here. But religion is this. It is a human being's attempt to try to find the formula to appease God, manipulate God, get God off my back and on my side, to get something out of God. It's kind of like if you had a wealthy uncle in your family, you know, and you knew there was a big, you know, inheritance that was going to be spread amongst all the family members. And so some family members would visit rich uncle regularly because, man, they were hoping when rich uncle kicks the bucket, they're on the list. And so they're visiting rich uncle dutifully because they want something out of rich uncle they don't really like rich uncle they don't really trust rich uncle they just want to stay on his good side you know what i'm saying but then there might be some other family members they visit rich uncle because they genuinely like him they genuinely trust him they they love being around rich uncle they love being with him 
Here's the difference between religious people who were the ones that envied and instigated the crucifixion of Jesus, God in flesh. It was religious people that did it. Religious people are always trying to con God, manipulate God. Here, you see, I'm paying my respects. Now, leave me alone. Just bless me. Don't curse me. But then there are those people that actually return to their creator in trust. They believe that there is nothing better that a human being can do for itself than to return to their creator who has proven himself trustworthy, loving, good. And so there are some of us in this room, we have returned to Christ our creator in trust. And we follow him fully. You can observe our lives. What he says to do, we do. What he says to stop doing, we stop it. Not because we're afraid, not because he forces us, because we trust him. We actually love him the more we follow him. So some of us are in here worshiping because we love God. We trust him. We have returned in simple trust. And the scripture says when we return to Christ in simple trust and faith that he forgives our sins and gives us everlasting life, like I said earlier. But some of us are here because we're religious and we're lost. If you're religious, you're lost. You're still walking in darkness. You're not walking in the light of the truth. You're still trying to get things out of God instead of trust yourself to God and let him joyfully guide you and govern your life. That's what real followers of Christ do. So Jesus came into conflict with the religious authorities, that power, and with the governmental authorities. And all through human history, human beings have lived oppressed by these two forces, sometimes in, in ob- abject fear because of, uh, you know, the fear that we'll either be physically Uh, punished in some way or maybe our consciences are manipulated by religion and so Jesus came revealing that the only thing that actually mattered was that a person really trusted in their creator and had a real relationship with him and that it was nothing to fear he even said something at one point to his followers he said listen don't ever be afraid of those that all they can do is kill your body well that's pretty easy to say as long as you're alive but he said the They can't touch your soul. He says, don't be afraid of those that kill the body, but they can't hurt your soul. Now, Jesus lived that out. He refused to be intimidated or manipulated by the religious leaders or the religion of his day or the political forces, the Romans of his day. The religious leaders couldn't crucify him, so they got the Romans to crucify him because they told the Romans, oh, this guy's going to lead a rebellion. But Jesus never bowed to any of it, and he let them kill him, mostly to show us the degree of his love and to tear down every barrier to let go every chain that would be between us and him but also because he lived with a different set of eyes and a different light we see also that we have sometimes barriers based on the physical observations i mean jesus came doing miracles make no mistake nobody would have known about jesus nobody would have cared about jesus they wouldn't have crucified jesus we wouldn't be talking about jesus if he hadn't done multitudes of what we today call miracles and all they were were obs- or were observable ways that he was superior to the laws of physics in our dimension uh, scientists postulate today that there could be like 10 different dimensions and if there are that each dimension the laws of physics that are operative in our dimension would not be in another dimension. Jesus would come to someone, let's say, that had a crippled limb, and he would just use his mind, and it would straighten and be restored. He'd take bread and fish and multiply it and feed thousands. He'd walk on water. He spoke a word and healed a leper. He raised people from the dead with a word. Jesus had the ability to manipulate atoms and molecules with his mind. 
He showed a different dimensional power and he, he demonstrated humanity. We don't have to live in fear that we are forever bound by the constraints of a sense-governed, time-bound existence. These natural laws that we feel like we cannot escape from, deterioration, disease, decay, death, that there's something higher. Jesus came to, to set us free from those chains of hopelessness that they can bring. But he also came to set us free from, from some things deeper inside. I mean, there's not a human being that's ever lived on this planet that doesn't experience guilt and shame and regret. And sometimes we cannot resolve these things sufficiently. You know, we may take antipsychotic drugs. We may try to stay busy and distracted. We may try to just say, oh, well, everybody makes a miscue here and there. But, but there's something about the way we're designed in the image of God that, that unresolved guilt and shame and regret, it eats at us and it cripples us. And it, it has a way of sneaking up on us and taking all the joy and all the enthusiasm out of life week after week, year after year. And Jesus came offering to people complete forgiveness. And there's no need to live with those chains of guilt and shame and regret. And some of you right now, you're saying, but Randy, you don't know what I did. Your sin may be forgivable, but you don't know what I've done. You don't. Yes, God does know. And he went to the cross to show you, I love you. There is no barrier. There is forgiveness available to you. And so we can live with this new reality. Let's go deeper inside. Many of us in this room. Even some of us that have been followers, long-term followers of Jesus. We still are in chains to feelings like insecurity. We wonder if we'll ever be truly loved. If anybody will stick with us. If anybody will really want us. If anybody will really like us or love us for ourselves. We're always thinking we're going to be betrayed. Some of us live with horrific feelings of inferiority. We, we always try to find a way to compare ourselves favorably to others. Because we feel so lousy about ourselves. We feel unattractive, unintelligent. We feel like we have no talent. We feel like we don't fit in. We don't belong. We're subpar. And we live with this sick feeling. We try to compensate for it in ways. But it doesn't work. But Jesus, when he was on earth, he went to people of all sorts. He went to people caught dead in sin and adulterous women. He went to one woman who had been married five times, and he deliberately started a conversation with her to let her know, you may feel that you're beyond redemption, beyond hope, that, that you're a disgusting person, but I love you, and I want you. He went to a leper that everybody on the planet in those days would avoid, and he, he made a point to go and touch this guy. He went to despise tax collectors, the individuals that in that day were betrayers of the Jewish government, and he invited them to be his, in his inner circle. He showed every type of human being, for me, for you, that no matter what our condition, you matter. You don't have to prove your worth. You have worth. It was given to you at birth by God, and it was proven by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Let those chains let them go. It's a new reality. It's a new light if we're just willing to live within it. And Jesus also dealt a blow to the fear of death that we are often completely governed by through all of our life. Listen to this verse from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 14. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, meaning Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil, a real being, an intelligent angelic entity who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to what? You tell me together. 
to the fear of dying. Now, how does Jesus' death and resurrection set us free from being slaves to the fear of dying? And some of you are sitting there saying, I've never been afraid of dying. That doesn't mean you're not a slave to the fear of dying. Let me show you how that works. Because we know that at any time, any of us could expire. We have no control over the next beat of our heart or brainwave. Because we know this, we tend to live with self-preservation as the governing principle. of I'm just trying to stay alive. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it drives us. The second thing that comes into play is self-gratification. We think, I don't know how long I'm here. I only go around once. And so I'm going to get all the gusto, all the pleasure, all the experiences I can. I got my bucket list. I got to fulfill my bucket list because this is it, man. After this, I take a dirt nap and I don't know what happens after that you know so we are driven by this fear of death we're slaves to it we live recklessly impulsively we become addicted to things our souls our souls literally become anemic and shrivel up and never develop we never we never become who God intended us to be nor do we do the things he intended us to do all because we are slaves remember the matrix nobody knew they were a slave till they took the red pill and the light goes on. Jesus came to give us light. He's showing us you don't have to live as a fear of death. You don't have to get the vacations in now. You can wait. You got eternal life if you're his. You don't have to have the house now, the car, whatever it is that you're being driven madly toward. You don't have to have the achievement now. Here's the achievement. Trust God and follow Jesus, your creator, in this life. Become the human being he intends you to become. The beautiful, the sacrificial, the loving, the utterly good servant human being that he intends you to become. And that is the highest. That's the highest achievement that you can accomplish in this life. If you're living in this light of what his resurrection really means. He also came to free us from the chains of cynicism and skepticism and doubt. Some of you, you've been burnt so many times. You've been lied to so many times. You've been trashed and deceived and slandered. And you're so sick of this world that's full of cons. Everybody seems to be running a con of some kind. And you consequently are at a place in your life where you're not sure you believe in anything. And when you approach the scriptures that God has left for us, you wonder, well, yeah, I don't know, you know. Good for you. Maybe it's not that good for me. Well, Jesus, when he rose from the grave, he deliberately left compelling evidence that he actually physically rose. The kind of evidence that would stand up in a court of law. Compelling. Not beyond doubt, but compelling. Um, whenever I give a message like this, I always go through the evidences that Christ left us to, to cure to break free, set us free from the chains of cynicism and skepticism and doubt. Let me go through them very quickly. Um, First of all, there was a Roman seal placed on Jesus' tomb. A Roman seal in those days, in biblical days, Rome was the most feared military force on earth. If you saw a Roman seal, you didn't dare get near it because you know you touch it, you're dead. But that Roman seal was broken off of Jesus' tomb. The tomb was empty itself. The, the most compelling proof that Jesus rose was that his enemies, all they would have had to do was find his body and they could have stopped his movement. He kept saying he was going to rise from the dead. All they had to do was find the body. Jerusalem was crowded. There was 100,000 people in the city at that time. They could have easily found his body. They knew where his tomb was, but they couldn't because it was not there. The grave clothes collapsed miraculously. The soldiers gone. There was a Roman guard put at that tomb once again, these are battle-hardened killers. They were unafraid of combat, and everybody was afraid of them. But when that earthquake occurred and that angel appeared, these guys had near heart attacks. They were terrified. Even to the, the possibility of losing their own life, they abandoned their position. 
That's an extraordinary proof that something happened. The unexplained massive stone, those stones that they rolled on those, rolled on those tombs in those days, they were anywhere from 2 to 12 tons. Um, the fact that that thing was moved, the scripture says, by that angel. The radical change in two skeptics and one enemy. Jesus had a half-brother named James. While Jesus was alive on earth, James was not his follower. He didn't trust him. He didn't believe in him. But when he saw Jesus alive from the dead, he not only trusted in him, he not only submitted his life to him, he became a leader in the church in Jerusalem for Jesus' sake. He was changed from a skeptic to a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Another skeptic, Thomas. Thomas was one of the inner circle, one of the disciples. When Jesus appeared on that Sunday, the first day of the week, alive from the dead, he showed himself to his followers. But Thomas wasn't in the house when it happened. The disciples told Thomas, they said, we saw him. It's true, he's alive. And Thomas is like, spare me. I'm not buying this. I'm not going to believe until I can take my finger and put it into the holes in his hands and the wound in his side. One week later, Jesus appears again to the disciples. They're all together in one place, and Thomas is there this time. And Jesus says, Thomas, come on, put your finger in my wounds. Go ahead, put your finger, put your hand in my side. And Thomas falls on his face and he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And he becomes a loyal follower of Jesus right until his death. Two skeptics converted because they saw Jesus alive. One enemy. There was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe he had risen from the grave. And he thought, I'm going to stamp out this lie before it spreads very far. He was arresting followers of Christ, having them thrown in prison, having them beaten. He was on the road to Damascus, a city that still stands today, the oldest city in the world. And on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians, Jesus appears to him and speaks to him. The real Jesus. He knows he's dealing with God. He says, who, who are you, Lord? Who are you? And the voice says, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. And this enemy, this enemy of Jesus becomes the greatest servant of God that the planet has ever seen. He becomes the Apostle Paul. He spends the rest of his life, 30 years of his life, serving Jesus, spreading the word about Jesus, telling the truth about God and the truth about life to everyone that he can, suffers tremendously and never, ever backs up, ultimately goes to a martyr's death. That's transformation that's hard to explain unless he saw the risen Jesus. So, Jesus didn't appear, by the way, just once or twice after he rose from the dead. He appeared, the scripture says, for 40 days straight to differing crowds of people. And ultimately, at one point, 1 Corinthians 15 says, there was 500 people all at once that saw him with their own eyes. That's 500 eyewitnesses. You know that stands up in a court of law. The Jews were, were very very careful that they gathered only on Saturday, the Sabbath. That was part of the way that God started their nation. Yet when Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday, they all started gathering together on Sunday instead of Saturday. That's something that a Jew would never do unless they knew that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the creator of the universe, and that he had actually risen on that day, on that Sunday, and they did. And then finally, the transformation of the disciples themselves. For some of you that know the story, when they finally came to arrest Jesus and Jesus didn't resist, he didn't use his power to resist in any way, the disciples all panicked. They were confused. They ran. They hid. They were scared to death. Peter even denied that he knew Jesus three times. But once they saw with their own eyes that Jesus was alive, these guys became the most courageous servants of God the planet's ever seen. Most of them went to death 
as martyrs because of their faithful devotion to proclaiming this truth about God and this truth about life as it all centers in Christ. These are powerful, compelling evidences for anybody that's rational and open-minded. For the person that's a committed skeptic, there is no degree of evidence that will ever be sufficient. But this is evidence that God has left to alleviate these chains. So, escaping these life-sabotaging chains that bind us. I've talked to you about how Jesus' resurrection brings some of these to, to end, but let's look at a few portions of Scripture that show how others. Let's take that guilt and shame and fear thing that we talked about. Listen to this verse from Acts 13, 38. It's pretty simple. It says, brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. You don't have to beat yourself. You don't have to punish yourself. You don't have to live feeling dirty or unclean or deficient or shameful. You don't have to stagger through life guilty and crippled. There it is. Jesus rose from the grave, and he tells you your sins are all forgiven if you've returned to him in trust. It says, everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who belong, belong to Christ Jesus. How do we get to belong to Christ Jesus? Now you are the children of God because you have put your, what is the word? Trust where? In Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian, folks. It's not in believing a bunch of facts about Jesus. It's putting my trust in Jesus and saying, everybody's following somebody. You follow whoever you want. I'm putting my trust in Jesus, and I'm going to follow him fully, and I'm going to follow him freely, and I'm going to follow him forever. When he says do it, I'm going to do it. When he says learn it, I'm going to learn it. When he says stop it, I'm going to stop it. Why? Because I trust him. He's proven himself completely good. He only wants my highest well-being and happiness. Does that describe you? Because that is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus closed with saying this in John 8. He said that this new revelation of reality, the fact that the laws of physics shouldn't bind us, even death shouldn't, shouldn't deter us, the fact that that we can know that we belong to God, the fact that we can know that we have value and meaning and purpose, that we're cherished in God's sake. He says, all this wonderful truth, living free of these fears, throwing these chains off, it only works if we continue. Listen to what he says. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples, slash, if. If. What is the if? What is the condition? You're my disciples if you remain faithful to my, what does it say? So Jesus is saying, you know, you may say you're my disciple, but uh, the real truth is if you're my disciple is you're going to remain faithful to my teaching, which means I'm going to get into God's word, let God's word get into me. When it says stop something, I stop it, start it, I start it. I let it mold and shape my life because I trust him. I'm really his disciple. I'm really his follower. And you will know the truth. He says, if you continue in my teaching, you remain faithful in my teaching, you're going to discover something. You're going to know the truth about God, the truth about life, and it's going to set you free. The chains are going to fall. Chains of insecurity, chains of inferiority, they're going to fall. Chains of guilt and fear and shame. Chains of frustration with government and corrupt religion, they're going to fall. Chains of frustration because of deterioration and death and the laws of our physics today that seem to to box us in. They all fall because he rose. He rose alive from the dead. And he's got a purpose for each and every person's life in this room. And it doesn't matter what condition you were in when you came in here. It does critically matter what condition you are when you leave here. 
That movie, The Matrix, and I'll close with this. It had an interesting scene uh, toward the end of the movie. There was one individual that knew the truth that human beings were enslaved to these artificial intelligences and he had lived trying to combat them for nine years, but he finally got so tired of the combat that he, he gives up and he wants to just live the rest of his life back in the matrix. In other words, he wants to live with the delusion. He wants to go back to having chains on his life. In other words, he chooses chains instead of change. Now, each of us are going to leave here in just a minute. And we're going to walk out of here in one or two conditions, every one of us. We're going to leave still saying, you know, all things considered, man, I'm not changing my life for you, Jesus, or anybody. I'm comfortable. And I'm going to live by my concocted religion. Me and God got this bargain. And, you know, I don't care what you say or what his word says. You're going to leave here holding your chains, stumbling through life in darkness. Or you can actually put your trust, all of your trust, every part of your trust, you can, you can leave here unchanged. No more fear, no more shame, no more guilt, no more limitations, no more hopelessness. You can walk through life with courage and enthusiasm and meaning and purpose in every season, every experience in life. That can be yours. The chains can fall right now today. For you that are not yet followers of Christ and for you that have been followers for years, the chains don't have to stay. You don't have to stay addicted. You don't have to rationalize it or legitimize it. You don't have to. If you have the courage to let God work with you, if you'll cooperate in a change process, living in the light of this wonderful reality of Christ's resurrection, we're going to have a song and I'm going to ask you to do something. First of all, stay engaged, please. You're, you're going to lose about five minutes if you're going to bolting out in that parking lot. If you get stuck in traffic out there, you're going to sit there about five minutes max. If, if not, come see me and I'll, uh, I'll let you kick me in the shins or something. But, but please, don't bolt for that door. Just give God five minutes. We're going to sing a song. And I want you to let God search your heart. Where are you at? Are you religious and lost or are you a real follower of Christ? Do you have a real trust relationship with Him? And those chains, you know what they are. You see them. Is there between you and God? But are you ready to really let them fall today? You can. You can start today. You're going to have to live in the light of it for here on. Will you let them fall today? Think about that as we sing a song, and then I'm going to come back close in prayer.
the Spirit of God to give you a vision that the resurrection of Christ means a new reality for us. And I hope you will leave here saying, enough, enough, no more will I live with these chains. I will live in the freedom of being a child of God and all that that means from this day forward. That's my prayer for you. Let's, let's join. Father, thank you that you have revealed the truth about yourself and the truth about life. And it all centers in your son, the Lord Jesus. May the light of his truth guide and govern our lives from this day forward. Father, we ask it in his beautiful, wonderful, worthy name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.